Atlanta will inbound. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores at the buzzer, and the Nets win 120 to 118. I think we see Willis coming out. Over to Kidd. Baseline drive. Kidd throws it up. Oh! How did he do it? Randall on the drive. Stripped by Butler. Randall gets it back. Randall puts up a three. Bang! Bang! Randall knocks down the three with seven tenths of a second remaining. With full court press coverage on all of the signings, trades, big games, and everything Knicks, Nets, and across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Friday, March 1st, another week of Pick and Pod here in the Bronx alongside Will Jing. I'm Miles Grossman, and here in New York, February is over, and both New York basketball teams have to be happy about that. Last night, the Knicks capped off an abysmal month, 4-8 and eight in February with a 110-99 loss at the hands of Steph Curry and the Warriors, and really, it's been a terrible month amidst the injuries for those New York Knickerbockers, but the injuries are the main theme. In Brooklyn, it's been terrible for a different reason. Jock Vaughn is now out. Kevin Ollie is the interim, but last night they capped off February with a blowout win over ATL. Well, we'll get into that one in just a little bit. A little rookie of the year debate later on, but It's been an ugly month in New York basketball, straight up, because Brooklyn is a bit of a dumpster fire, still sort of fighting for that 10 seed in the 11 right now. And the Knicks, who were once a 1-2-3 team in the East, kind of just beyond the Celtics, now they're fighting for a 4-5 amidst those injuries. But, Will, I want to start us off in Brooklyn. I mean, we know the Jock Vaughn era is over but last night, I think, was one of the brighter spots of the new chapter of the Kevin Ollie era, rolled the Atlanta Hawks. And if you look at those playoff standings, Brooklyn, of course, just a couple games behind Atlanta in the 11, right behind the 10 spot. And if you look right now, playoff hopes are not absolutely over just yet. They're absolutely not over. Listen, I don't think they're... Catching, I don't know about you. I don't think they're catching seven or eight because I think the Pacers and the Heat are just, I mean, they're both at least 10 games ahead of the Nets right now. And, you know, Indy's got, you know, the whole thing going with Therese Halliburton. And then, you know, Miami's going to be Miami. They do this every year. It's mm-hmm. eighth seed, seventh seed, whatever it might be. They win the playing game and here they come. You know, last year they went into the NBA Finals. I don't think they're going to make it all the way to the Finals this year. But, I mean, with this Heat team, you really never know. Um, the Nets, though, they have a chance of catching the Bulls or the Hawks. I think, obviously, the Hawks are their best chance because, you know, we mentioned, uh, we were talking about a little bit before the podcast that Trey Young's out for four weeks. And they're only three games back. They just blew out the Hawks once. They have another chance to beat the Hawks again at home tomorrow. So if they win that, then at that point, you're, what, within two games. So mm-hmm. then it gets really close. And then, you know, Kevin Ollie, I I think... He's got some experience uh, as a basketball coach. Obviously, he coached at UConn, so, I mean, that's going to obviously uh, help him out. And then, 
I don't. I th- the thing is, I don't know how big of a difference it makes between him and Jock Vaughn. We've yet mm. to see that. Um, but whether or not he's a big difference maker, um, or if he's just another coach and they're just scapegoating Jock Vaughn, I think that catching the Hawks shouldn't be the most difficult thing if Trey Young's gone. Absolutely. I mean, this is a pivotal stretch for those Brooklyn Nets, and. I mean, Jacques Vaughn is probably the only good decision Sean Marks has made in a long time in, in terms of getting rid of him because Kevin Ollie seems like the kind of guy that can actually light up a group of young players. I think we saw down the stretch in the end of the Jacques Vaughn era that it was sort of a demoralized, disgruntled young group. And I think that even though there was a tad of talent, Jacques Vaughn had really lost the locker room and it, it was time to move on. And the reason why I like the decision to move on to Kevin Ollie in particular is he kind of seems like the right guy to handle young players. I, I don't know if you noticed, but his previous stop to Brooklyn was actually overtime elite, which is a funny stop for an NBA coach, right? You go the college ranks and then you go overtime elite and then you make the jump to the NBA. That's a real one of one story. But Kevin Ollie's the type of guy where he could handle 19 year olds who are already given an attached salary to their talent, if that makes sense, Will Jing. Like the ego that an overtime elite player might have who's making 175K for just that one year to be a 19-year-old playing basketball might go to his head a little bit. But Kevin Ollie was the type of guy who could handle those overtime elite egos. And I think that's kind of the attitude that he's brought into Brooklyn. He's able to motivate these young guys, keep them locked in, even though this doesn't seem like the year that they can make a playoff run, they still are playing with the effort necessary. That's kind of what we saw last night. If you saw the previous era of those Jock Vaughn Nets, you would think, wow, this team is aware that they're on the outside of the play-in looking in. Last night, that Kevin Ollie group looked like a team that wanted to fight for a play-in. Well, he definitely is somebody with that experience coaching young guys, and especially, you know, great young players, you know, uh, at Overtime Elite, and then obviously being a part of a winning culture at UConn. I think the thing for this Nets team moving forward is is can they keep this up, right? Because they have to be more consistent Right now, they can catch the Hawks, but it's I think it's a toss-up if they will because, you know, they're still going to be if they win, they're still going to be a couple game a couple games back, and they have to be consistent for this time period where Trey Young's out because mm-hmm. if they're not, listen, Trey Young's going to come back and this Hawks team is going to start winning some basketball games again. So I don't know if Trey Young will be back by the end of the regular season, but you want to be good enough where. You can say that Trey Young's going to come back and we have a couple games of cushion so mm-hmm. that if they do win some games, we can afford to say if we're, I don't know who they're playing in their last two games of the season, but they want to make it so that the, the Nets, by that, uh, the Nets want to make sure that if they're playing, I don't know, the, the Clippers or Boston or something in the last couple games, you can afford to be like, okay, we might lose these couple games, but we're still going to have the 10 seed locked down. Absolutely, and it's an interesting situation with Trey Young because he's out for a minimum of four weeks, right? He won't even be reevaluated for four weeks. So obviously things could go awry throughout the process. That's more of a minimum. The, the maximum is, is much longer than that for Trey Young. And if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you're hoping that obviously things don't go according to schedule and he's right back in that four or five week time period but at the moment the Brooklyn Nets are 23 and 36 on the year just three full games back 
from Atlanta. And with an Atlanta team that's missing Trey Young, it's DeJounte Murray's the primary ball handler. He's the primary scorer. It's a much weaker Atlanta Hawks team. That's probably the biggest takeaway that you could take from last night's Nets win. 124-97 in a game where the Nets really looked like the more superior team. I mean... Atlanta was searching for an offensive identity, and it was clear where that offensive identity was. It was Trey Young, and it was hurt. So it's going to be tough for for Atlanta just to kind of tread water over the next four or five weeks. I think it's safe to say that after all the turmoil with Jock Vaughn out the door, there's still a chance that this Brooklyn Nets team makes a postseason run, although... The issue is, to me, I don't think that they could ever make it out of the play-in. And, well, that's where I kind of want to turn this conversation is even if the Nets were to qualify for a play-in, do you see any likelihood of them being the team to actually earn a playoff series? I I can't. I mean, because both the play-in teams this year are good. Mm-hmm. The Pacers, we've seen them you know, beat good teams. The Heat. I mean, we we already know about the Heat. I don't think anything more needs to be said. We've seen in the past few years. And the Heat are still very capable of beating good teams. So I I don't see the Nets. I mean, maybe in another year, mm-hmm. if they had the 10 seed, yeah, I, maybe they, they win, right? Maybe if it was uh, last year. But this year, though, the way playoff seedings are, 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 the playoff picture looks right now, the only way I can see it happening is if Orlando drops into the play-in, mm. then it might be possible. But if it ends up being Indy and Miami, nah, those those yes. two are going into the playoffs. I hear that. And ATL, also not a terrible team, but at 26-33, and 33, they're the team that the Nets are going to be chasing for the foreseeable future. But I got to wrap up our next talk by talking about Kevin Ollie a little bit because he's the man who deserves some flowers. I think that, you know, Sean Marks is a guy that's, been at the helm of this Nets organization for seven years now, and he doesn't have much to show for it. But picking Kevin Ollie off of the Brooklyn Nets bench was the best decision he's made in quite a while. And, you know, just me, I've, I've hated on Sean Marks for so long. Once he makes a good decision, I got to give him some props. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think something needed to, to be uh, changed. I, I don't, I mean, we'll see again the the next few weeks will will show it um, whether or not this was the decision that needed to be made. But, you know, ever since the big three of KD, Kyrie, and James Harden were gone, it kind of seemed like this was a very just – just a it was back to kind of irrelevancy. You know, that was what, what really sparked this team. And it, it kind of feels like this team has their – you know, when they first moved to Brooklyn, they had the whole thing with Darren Williams and Joe Johnson and – this, this franchise got going, and then it, that kind of faded. They made the dumb trade for Paul Pierce to KG, and then they were just down and just being a dumpster fire for a few <laughs> years. And then suddenly they were good again, and now they're bad again. So it just kind of seems like very like quick up, down, up, down. So I think something needed to change to bring this back up. Um, and I think, I mean, what, I guess... If you're Sean Marks, whether or not this works, at this point you kind of have to start throwing things at the wall and hope yeah. it sticks. And, I mean, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, there's never really that high of an expectation. You'll kind of skirt by national media attention as long as you're 
around a 500 ball club. But what was happening towards the end of the Jacques Vaughn era is, I don't know if you remember, the the loss immediately before the All-Star break. They went on the road to Boston. They lost by 50. The trade deadline was over, and you knew some sort of change had to come. And Jacques Vaughn was obviously the change that came. He was canned. But what really stood out about the Jacques Vaughn era leading up to the All-Star break was they were doing so poorly, they were unable to avoid national media attention. They were so bad that they weren't meeting their very middling expectations. So credit to the Nets making the change. But we're going to transition a little bit over to Manhattan with those New York Knicks. And Will, if you remember, the Knicks were a team at a certain point where it looked like they were an inch behind Boston as a top-tier team in the East. But obviously they've dealt with quite a few injuries, and they capped off February 4-8. and eight. In the month of February, one of their worst months in quite a while with a 110-99 loss yesterday at the hands of Steph Curry and the Warriors. And Will, now they're in this 4-5 with Miami, kind of where they were in previous years, just like the last couple of you remember. But they've fallen out of their 1-2 spot. And I know a lot of this has to do with injuries. We know Tom Thibodeau's catching some flack. I don't really think he's the culprit. But if you're the Knicks, how do you kind of get out of this tough February slide? Um, Pray that your injured players come <laughs> back faster. I mean, I think that that's really their one solution because with everybody healthy, they have a very deep roster. You know, Jalen Brunson at the helm as your kind of star player, and then everybody else is kind of like – um, there, there's a lot of guys on this team that are capable of being like the number, I wouldn't say number two, but number three guy on a on a on a really good team. Um, there's a lot of those guys, so I think that just having all of them together really helps. But um, yeah, I mean, right now I think they should be concerned because they lost to the Pelicans and the Warriors and beat the Pistons only because of that no call on Josh Hart at the end, which so they really should have lost that game. So they should be on a three game losing streak. Um, I don't think they're going to slide out of playoff seating, of course, but if they want to make a deep playoff run, they'll need a fully healthy roster because when they're when they're healthy, they're very good. But when they're not, they're as as we've seen, they're subpar. Yeah, last night, I mean, Jalen Brunson was another special night at Jalen Brunson. I'd say 27, and he was relatively efficient. The thing is, it's going to take a lot more than just Jalen Brunson to win basketball games. You look at the starting five, Achua, Hartenstein, Hart, and DiVincenzo. Now, no disrespect to those names, but a lot of those are not starters in the National Basketball Association without some injuries. And if I'm Tom Thibodeau. You know, you can tell the frustration is is getting to him. In these pregame press conferences, he answers the press, and he's like, well, guess what? We're missing our starting line again. Guess what? We're missing our starting line again. And it's tough. I mean, you can't force these guys back, but at the end of the day, the New York Knicks are kind of heading in the direction of having to fight for a 6-7 if they continue down this track come playoff time. I mean, it's tough because you can't get these guys back, but out of the names that are there, Will Jing, who are you looking at as someone who needs to step up? I mean, I'm a big fan of Bogdanovich as the newest Nick, but I think we saw a little bit of his worst self last night. I don't know if you watched the game, but 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 3 from deep. He's supposed to be the veteran old guy who can stand in the corner and knock down a triple. If he's not shooting well, Bogdanovich is kind of a a, a big mishap when you think about adding him. 
it's weird because I remember when he like first came into the league, and now like you're saying he's he's like a vet, which I mean I don't even I don't know how how long he's been around. He's just kind of been like there now for quite a while. Um, in terms of being in the NBA, I think that I think it's really thirty four. Picked in uh, 2011, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think I don't know who's got to step up because it's kind of very weird now with this roster that's got so many injuries. I would say I think it's got to be DiVincenzo if somebody's mm-hmm. going to step up. I mean, a lot of these guys are, you know, you can see they're they're fairly newer or they're, you know, I mean, th- this is a very young team. Let's, but I think especially the guys that are out there right now. Yeah, but I think I mean I saw this thing that was like Josh Hart got like fifty seconds on the bench, like in their oh in yeah, forty seven minutes last night. It's yeah, hard. exactly. Yeah. So I think <laughs> I think because they play the same position, so Dante Divincenzo's got to be the guy to step up and take some of that load off of Josh Hart, um, because we know Coach Tibbs and he's gonna play his guys until they get hurt and then. He'll find someone else to play 48 minutes a game. <laughs> um, that that's kind of a, a coach Tibbs problem. Obviously, he yeah. hasn't learned that lesson yet. Yes. Um, even though he's got a bunch of injuries, he seems to want to add more to the list. Um, but I think if Dante Givincenzo can step up, he's one of the better players on this team, and I think that that's going to be important for them moving forward if they have injuries. And Givincenzo, I mean, the volume is surely increased. 21 shots last night. Pretty dang inefficient. Six of twenty-one yesterday against the Dubs. Two of twelve from range. And then, what that kind of points to in my mind is that the Knicks almost become a live by it, die by it type of squad amidst the injuries. Because when your offense is obviously hurt, when you're missing Randall, when you're missing OG, a lot of the guys that are available are shooters first, right? Brunson, Hart. I guess Hart's more of an attack the basket guy, but. DiVincenzo is absolutely a catch-and-shoot threat. And it's funny to think about how the New York Knicks have almost transitioned, whether they like it or not, into a live-by-the-three, die-by-the-three team. They got a couple weeks to turn it around. It's not over yet. They're not guaranteed to be in this 6-7 spot come the playoffs. But with Julius Randle out, of course, OG Ananobi out, it's it, it's tough. Those are those are two of your, your, your stronger players, and... I mean, the Knicks currently in that 4-5 hole. It's possible they could battle with Miami. But, I mean, if that's the case, if they have that tough of a playoff stretch ahead of them, if they are only able to earn themselves a 4-5, I think it's going to be another early exit. I think it depends on who they play. I mean, if you if you love – I mean, if they – I mean, I don't see them retaining the four seed over Philly, um, which means you're going to play – Philly or Milwaukee in the first round. Mm-hmm. I if they get healthy, I could see them beating Philly, but no matter what, I don't see them beating Milwaukee. No matter, um, no matter what their 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 head to head matchup is from earlier in the season. Yeah. I mean, Milwaukee. I mean, say what you want about this whole Doc Rivers fiasco and what was going on, but they're on a four game winning streak, and don't forget who this team has. Yes. So this team has Giannis. And people forget this team also has Damian Lillard. They also have Brooke Lopez. They also have Chris Middleton. So come playoff time, this team is going to be scary. And I don't think the Knicks are beating them. So the Knicks better hope that they either pull off a miracle for the rest of this regular season. <laughs> or they better hope that they land Philly and 
playoff Joel Embiid shows up. And it's one of the most shocking injury stretches we've seen in the NBA in the last couple of years. I mean, this was a Knicks team that was a step behind the Celtics looking like they're going to play a seven in the first round. They're going to play a six seed in the first round. At the moment, it doesn't really look like that. Of course, it's not over, but those New York Knicks are not trending in the right direction. Most recently, a 110-99 loss at home against the Warriors. They now stand at 35-20. and They'll kick off March on the 3rd. This will come in Sunday in Cleveland. And, of course, the lowly Hawks will come to town. So an opportunity back at home. But that's going to do it for our Knicks talk. And, Will, where I want to transition now is a little bit of that Rookie of the Year debate. I hope you saw it last night, but it was a little Wemby versus Chet. And Wemby came out on top, a big block at home, had the Spurs crowd going crazy. It does seem that Wemby has to be the favorite to go home with the Rookie of the Year, given all the the clout that came with him. He's followed it up. He's freakish looking. I mean, Chet has done some amazing things for his age, but I think it's going to take a lot more out of Chet just to eke himself back into the conversation after last night. There were quite a few years um, in the – Maybe not. I'm not sure exactly how many, but there were definitely a few in the past few years where the rookie of the year was not like it was just kind of like, all right, we have to give it to somebody. Um, and it's just unfortunate that Wemby and Chet ended up contending for that award in the same year. And uh, I think right now with Wemby leading the league in blocks, I believe averaging, I think it's like mm-hmm. 20 and 10 or something like that. I I just can't see Chet Chet taking away from him. And it's funny because it's. It does seem like a little biased to me in that the world wants to give it to Wemby because he's Wemby. I mean, we haven't had this highly touted of a prospect in how many years? I don't know if you want to say since LeBron James. I think since LeBron. It's safe to say since LeBron. I mean, it's been it's been that long. He's the highest European touted player in in, in that ever. time for sure. Ever, right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, where it was it was never that solidified of a number one overall pick, but at seven foot four, there's also some things that he can do that really no one else can do. I remember we were talking off air that he can get these blocks under the basket where he doesn't even have to leap, right? He's he's gonna stare down a smaller big. When I say a smaller big, a six foot ten big in the NBA and just look him down and swat it. And I think you know, when you have that kind of talent, the NBA wants to recognize you in a way. It's good for the league to, to give this man the recognition and get his career started on the right foot. I don't see it going any direction besides Wemby. It'd be interesting to look at the betting odds of that if he's that clear-cut favorite. But Chet deserves his flowers in a way too, Will Jing. If you look at the year that Chet's having, he still seems like that kind of KD type of player in the future where he's going to be a top tier scorer in this league. I think, I mean, the thing is, KD is a lot, obviously, a lot much, much faster. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I, I, Chet, Chet is not going to be KD. Let, let's get that out of the <laughs> way first. T- give it to me then. Tell me why. They're, they're, okay, they play two different positions. Mm-hmm. Um, KD is, as I said, faster. That en- enables him to do things that Chet can't. Um, KD shoots off the better, the dribble better. Uh, he can get to the hole better. Um, shoot. He he's like an upgraded version of Chet at a different position. Essentially, that's older, obviously. Um, 
That's not to try to say that Chet won't be good. I mean, I think he's the second best player on this OKC team. That's second place um, in the West. They they definitely, I think, have a title in their foreseeable future. Um, it's just again unfortunate that Chet and Wemby end up in the same year. And I think even if Chet doesn't win the Rookie of the Year, he does have a great future ahead of him. Yeah, and and I mean, Victor Wembanyama started as the overwhelming favorite. Obviously, now. Depending on where you look at it, he seems to be the overwhelming favorite once again. Chet had a chance throughout this year, but yeah. doesn't look like he's gonna gonna gonna. I pass. think Wemby's like minus six hundred or something. Yeah, now, at this so. point, I just checked in, and it does seem to be a bit of a blowout in my mind. But that's gonna do it for this episode of Pick and Pod. The Knicks finally get to escape February. They'll be back in action on the road in Cleveland, and the Nets another opportunity to step a bit closer to that playoff picture against ATL. But that's gonna do it. Will Jing, Miles Grossman, thank you so much for sticking with us here on Pick and Pod. And as always, it's a production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>